The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. From Richard Flint International. Deep inside you, there's a power. A power you can use to meet every challenge, every roadblock, conquer every obstacle life throws at you. A power to be happy, fulfilled, successful. A power to be everything you want to be. Now, meet the man who wrote the book on human behavior. Behavior never lies. The man who can teach you how to unleash your own power to be. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Flint. Hey, Richard Flint here, and welcome to The Power to Be. Uh, I am so excited to have this opportunity with you today and to share more insights with you, because as I've told you over and over again, uh, this program is about sharing insights. It's about helping you to find the pathway forward, because don't you ever forget You can only go one of two directions in your life. You go in circles or you go for it. It's the only two options you have. And if you can come up with another option, please email me at richard at richardflint.com and let me know. But in my research in human behavior and working with the human personality, those are the only two options that I have found. Well, here's a fact. In the business world that we're living in today, It's no longer business as usual. Listen, from the businesses I work with and the people I talk to, I'm hearing, I'm seeing, I'm sensing that today you have to have a business savvy that keeps you, first of all, challenging yourself. And secondly, not to be fearful of taking a risk. I was on a webinar right before I came over here to record this show. And it was a webinar with about 200 business owners. And we were talking about, and we were talking about that so many times in business, we know what we need to do, but we don't do it out of the fear of either the unknown or the fear of loss. And when you have those two in your life, they trap you. They trap you in that world of sameness, which creates your world of circles, and you can't go forward. And today, you've got to not be fearful of taking a risk in this new business environment. And let me define what I think a risk is. It's trusting yourself enough to step outside your comfort zone. And this is the key. You have to lose your fear of the unknown. You've got to lose your fear of loss. You've got to lose your fear of making a mistake. Now, recently, we've done two shows dedicated to business and business leadership. If you remember, we did a show on So You Want to Own Your Own Business with Matt Cedarstorm. And then we did a show on ownership versus leadership, where we talked about the need to understand the role of an owner. 
and at the same time understand the role of a leader. And that sometimes those roles get mixed up, and when they get mixed up, there's confusion. I've said for years that there needs to be a, a, a dimension beyond the world of leadership, and that role is the guide. And that should be the focus of the owner, to create an environment that's going forward. But yet, if the owner doesn't have time to create the vision, monitor the vision, then all of a sudden the organization gets stuck. Now, today I want to continue that theme of being a business leader. Our show today is about learning from business mistakes. I've never met a person who owned a business, including yours truly, who in the world of business has not made a mistake. And a mistake is simply something that didn't go the way you wanted it to go. Now, sometimes it's there because we weren't ready. Other times it's there because we're moving too fast. Other times the mistakes happen because people just don't care. But you got to be able to take whatever that mistake is, and you got to be able to learn from it. My guest today is one of my dear friends, John Emmett. And John and I go back about 12 years. I was over in a place called Saddlebrook over outside of Tampa, and I was peopled out. And I think you probably have times in your life when you're peopled out. And the last thing you need is another human coming in to plug into you. And when you see him coming, you just want to scream and run or tell him to go away. And I went over to Saddlebrook just to spend a couple of days playing golf and just relaxing. And the first day I was there, I got paired to play golf with John Emmett. And we played around to golf together, and we talked and we chatted. And at the end of the round, I told him, you know what, um, I'm here to just relax and rest. So I'm not real big into socializing after I finish playing around to golf. And he said, okay. And the next day, they paired us together again. And the next day, we played again. And through that, we have become very good friends. And I want to tell you a little bit that I know about John Emmett. Then I'm going to let him tell you anything I haven't told you that he thinks you might be able to hear. To me, John is one of the best business leaders, business information people that I've ever met. In fact, when I have questions about my business, John is the person that I turn to for advice. His skill really is about management problem solving. And and let me tell you some of the things that in his world he deals with. Uh, Providing counseling at every level of operation from line supervisor through the president. Uh, Completely organized systems and procedures with written manuals and standards. Evaluate costs that affect your company's profit and determine the hidden costs so frequently overlooked. Uh, Developing a pricing structure for your product or determine if the present system is adequate. Helping with company organization and control. Uh, Reorganizing or restaffing as the need is acquired. Performing project management, product development, or safety audits. Organizing and developing sales and marketing strategies. And then aiding in purchasing new companies or divisions and interfacing them with the present company goals. That's a lot, folks. That's a lot of expertise. 
And these are not just words. These are who John Emmett is. So, John, I want to welcome you to this hour of The Power to Be, and thank you for taking the time uh, to be a guest with me. Well, thank you for inviting me, Richard. I'm, I'm pleased to be here. Yeah. And, and, John, when, is there anything else that our, our listeners need to know about you? Oh, uh, I've been in the work world for 50 years, the last 30 years in business for myself, uh, solely, whereas before I worked uh, with other people and did uh, consulting and different things. Uh, and uh, I learned a lot. I made a lot of mistakes, uh, a ton of mistakes. Uh, but I was able to recover from almost all of them. Well, actually, all of them, to be honest with you, uh, uh, by uh, just sorting out what I did wrong and how to straighten it out. And uh, But it was a never-ending process. When I get through with one, another one just cropped up. And uh, so it's just a, it's a process. It never gets finished and it never gets completed, and it's never, it's never completely right. It just keeps going. So you just keep adjusting as you go along and uh, just gain the... Wrath of knowledge that worked all over the world, owned companies in other countries, and uh, had to deal with that that type of problem. But uh, you learn a lot about people, and and the one thing I've learned, Richard, is that we're all the same, even if we don't speak the same language. Basically, human beings conduct business in a very similar way. Uh, many different customs, different laws, and stuff like that. But at the, at the core of it, uh, it's people just doing business, and it's remarkable how similar we all are. John, what happens when someone who owns or leads a company uh, cannot admit to a mistake? Failure. That's the only word I can think of, uh, and I've run into that all, all through my life. The first thing, when something's going wrong that, that I have always done or learned to do, actually, is to look at what what went wrong, because at the end of the day, I, I'm in charge. It doesn't matter. It's like the coach of a football team or a baseball team. No matter what happens, he's in charge, and he's the one that's going to lose his job. Uh, and so you look at that and say, okay, what happened? What did I do? How did it go wrong? 99% of the time, someone else caused the problem. Very seldom it was me, and I'm not saying that because it was me. I'm just saying that 99% of the time, other people or other situations created the problem, but you still have to deal with it. And so... Uh, uh, that's what I've learned, and I just had to get in there and straighten them out, one by one, every month of my life. One of the skills that I, I talk about when I'm dealing with companies, because I think there are five basic skills that any effective leader has to manage uh, and has to master, uh, listening, communication, confrontation, delegation, and decision-making. And what I find with a lot of business leaders that I deal with is probably one of the ones they hate the most is confrontation. And what happens when the leader is not willing to address the mistake with people? Well, it, it, uh, we've all heard the term kicking the can down the road. Nothing goes away. If the, if the guy at the top can't deal with it, he will pass it off to someone that will always be lesser at solving it than he would have been, period. It's just the way it is, or else the other guy would be owning the company. So it, it, when you pass it down, you're just kicking the can down the road. Well, guess what? The next guy kicks it down the road, and it really never gets resolved. Oh, you may ship, and it may end up whatever, working out, but it's never really solved. Uh, you ship something that was less than less than good. It was good enough, but it wasn't the, your best effort. 
When, when I made the statement when we opened the show that it's no longer business as usual, do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. What has happened in the last 10 or so years uh, is that uh, uh, employees, by and large, do not look at work the way I did when I came in the workforce in the 60s. Uh, we went to work. We worked hard, gave a good day's work for a good day's pay. We expected to get promoted, and we expected to get raises, and we expected to move forward. Today, uh, most people are transient. They're not looking for full-time employment or full-time job forever. They, they expect to move. In other words, they're not going to be with you forever. Uh, and, and that's the main thing I see. The employee pool is, is poor at best. It's poor. Uh, if, you do, if you are lucky to find a good person, you're just lucky because it's a luck of the draw that you find somebody that still wants to work and has a work ethic that's similar to yours, at least, at least similar. Uh, and, and the next biggest thing that affects it is the Internet. The Internet has completely and totally changed the dynamics of owning a business because there's so much information available. Uh, it's almost too much, to be honest with you. But what it does, it brings on more indecision, more confusion, more uh, uh, too many options. Uh, let's go, go try to buy a camera today. Good, good gosh, there's 300 different choices. And every one of them's got something on it, but not all of them have everything on them. And it's hard to even buy a camera. It's just too much out there. Well, same way with the Internet and business. So you get a, a, a purchasing guy or, or a manager looking at something on the Internet, he comes back with more questions than he had when he started. Uh, you know, and you feel like saying, you know, just shut the thing off. You know, you're getting too much, too much information here for, the, for what we want to resolve. Uh, and so that's the two main things I see uh, happening. I mean, we can go on about regulation and taxes and requirements for opening a new business. These are all far more difficult than they were 15 years ago. But the main thing is employees and the Internet, I think, is the thing that's changing the world. So you see a difference in the work ethic of people today than it was when you entered the work world? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. When when we entered the work world, like I said, in the 60s, uh, you went into it to accomplish something. You went into it to prove something to yourself. You went into it to uh, have a livelihood that's something you could be proud of. And whether you're a plumber, a painter, or, uh, it doesn't matter who you are. You, you did something out of pride of self-completion, uh, be able to go home and say, man, look what I did today. Today they don't think like that. Uh, the young people today, they're thinking, the first thing they ask you is when I get a vacation. They haven't even worked one day. They ask you, when do I get a vacation? When they're interviewing, they ask about benefits and vacation. They don't ask about, what do you want me to do? What's the job position? Uh, and you're looking at them like, well, what is this? Where did this person come from? You know, and, and, uh, and so I look at it as, you know, I'm going to have to pay for this guy's inefficiencies or this gal's inefficiencies. I come to work wondering where's the next order, how we're going to get it out, how we're going to make it under budget and ship it on time. This guy's worrying about when he's going to take a vacation. And so, so that's, the, that's the biggest thing. And motivation, and forget it. You've always said you can't motivate anybody. And I, that's the, probably the truest statement I've ever heard. You can't motivate anybody. They either got it or they don't. And these young people ain't got it. So do you think they're, you think they're lazy? No, I think this is the way they've been raised. I think that uh, they've had it so easy for so long. When I tell my kids, I remember when we had one phone in the house and it was a black one, and they were all looked alike. Even your neighbor had one looked just like yours. They can't even fathom that, that they've had too much too soon, and things are too easy for them. 
they don't know what a library looks like. They don't know what a dictionary looks like. They Google it. Uh, if you want to go to the restaurant, they Google it. If you want to get there, they Google it. They don't even know where they're going. They just follow the map. Okay, so John, okay, John, I want you to hang on to that thought because we need to take a quick break here, and we're going to be right back. And I want to, I want to pick the, pick up this conversation because I think this is critical when you look at the state of business today. So I don't agree. go anywhere. We'll be right oh. back. Last month was about family, and it couldn't have been a better topic. Every day, there was something that I was able to take and work on with my family. Sometimes I just kind of think about what it says, and then I realize it really does have something to do with my life every morning of every day. We love the Morning Minute. It's just a blessing to our lives to be able to give us a great thought to hang on to all day long. Just the Morning Minute for us, it just kind of sets the day for us. That's where we really like it. The Richard Flint Morning Minute in your email inbox every single morning. You can try it for 21 days absolutely free. The Richard Flint Morning Minute could make your day. Call toll-free 1-800-368-8255 or go to www.richardflint.com and get the Morning Minute. Star Maker Magic Moment. Dorothy? I just wanted to say I sat with Wanda one of the days here for about 45 minutes. She sat with me, and the peace that comes from her is amazing. It just came out of her naturally and normally, and she said, I wasn't like this when I started. You'll get there. <laughs> Did you tell yourself, I want to be like that? Absolutely. Went back to the room, and Lou said, Well, what did Wanda say? I said, I can't tell you. <laughs> So, you want to be like Wanda? Yes, I do. Isn't that presence? July 17th through the 19th at the incredible PGA National Resort and Spa at beautiful Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Remember, there's a limited number of registrations, so do it now. Sign up at www.richardflint.com or call 1-800-368-8255 and ask for Denise. Come join the fam. Star Maker 2015. Hey, welcome back to The Power to Be. And today talking about uh, mistakes and talking about some of the biggest mistakes uh, in business and what you can learn from them. And my guest today is John Emmett from Houston, Texas. If you can't tell by that voice, it's a southern voice. Um, but John is one of the, one of the, the sharpest business minds I know. And the thing you learn about John is that he plays no games. He's just very direct. So John, back to our conversation, my question to you, when you were talking about, uh, employees, uh, do you find that sometimes the mindset of that young person looking for a job today is not what value can I bring the company, but what's in this for me? Oh, oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes they don't even go that far, Richard. It's what's in it for me next week. In other words, there's no long-range planning. Now, I'm not saying that this happens to everybody, and we've had some great guys, great great gals work for us, young people, and, and they try real hard. Uh, the skills aren't there, but they try. They try. And, and uh, few make it, but, but they, they're adequate. They're good enough. And it's because the, their training hasn't been that way. Uh, and I'm not saying they weren't raised right. I'm not saying the schools didn't teach them right. Whatever it is, they don't have – we were trained to do things in a very uh, – they call it scientific notation. 
you did something, you noted it down, you read it, what you did, and you moved to the next step. Today, they start at the top and go backwards. So they start at the top on just about every project and end up working towards how to get it started. When we were taught, you start and you go to the next level. So I've had to stop guys and gals, and within, we had an engineering company, and, and they're working on something that we said, we haven't even designed it yet. Y'all are solving a problem we haven't even got to yet. And they, they can't understand that. And, and, the, and the question was always, why do you start at the end? I don't understand. Well, why do you start at the end? Why don't you start at the beginning? Like make, the, make an assembly drawing so we can see what it looks like. They don't think like that. They, they, I, they don't think like that. And, and, and I wrestled with it for, for all these years because it was foreign to me. I couldn't think like they think. And uh, when I asked a, would ask a question about a, a drawing or a dimension, they would have to go to the computer and find it. I've never done that in my life. I have always knew the answer before I went anywhere. I was just validating what I knew. They figure out what they know, then try to validate it. You know, they, 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 don't, uh, they, they work backwards. Uh, and they're good people, good people, honest people, work hard, but they just waste about 50% of their time running in circles. Well, I want to go back to something else you said, because it's been something that I've played with in my head, and that is the amount of information that's available to us today through the Internet. And to me, sometimes the, the easiness of obtaining information slows down the learning process because I don't have to learn anything. I can simply Google it. And Googling, you know, when you Google something, to me, it's gathering insights. It's not learning what you need to do. And sometimes I think the Internet has made people mentally lazy. Oh, and not only mentally lazy, but has actually made them, uh, let's just say, less smart. Because like you said, they're, they're not learning anything. They're just bringing up a bunch of stuff. And so when the guys come in, I would ask them to do something. They would come in with ten different scenarios. And I would say, look, two, maybe three is okay. Ten is too many, fellas. Too much information. Go back and do this. And, it, and when we got through with it all, it was so simple they could have probably got by with one or two options, and they brought in ten or twelve because they they're not looking at them. They're just bringing them in and say, "Look, there's fifteen ways to do this." Our friends says, "You would say buy a bulb. Or, Let's make it easy. Buy a light bulb." And they say, "Well, there's 954 light bulbs we can choose from. I just need one light bulb. Get me two sources." And they don't. They just bring all 900 of them in, and they're looking at you like, "Well, pick the one you want, and we'll order it." Well, just just buy the light bulb. You see what I mean? And so, so uh, you, and, and the light bulb's a, a, an example of it could be anything. It could be a computer, a valve. It could be a tire for your car. It doesn't matter. They're going to bring in all this stuff, and they've not analyzed it. They've not looked through it. And as you start looking at it, you can say, well, this light bulb is too much wattage. This one doesn't have enough amperage. This one here is a different color. And they, oh, okay, oh, okay, oh, okay. Well, by the time you scratch them all off, we're down to the two that I wanted anyway. Because you didn't read the information. You just presented it as it was presented to you. And, and that would slow our job down. It would slow me down because I would have to work twice as hard to get what I needed from these people because they were giving me what they got, not what they de- needed. And yeah. I had to sort through it. Yeah, and it's, it's one of the things that I believe, and I believe strongly, I know this is this can become very, very controversial. But I believe today that most people, because of the amount of information that's available to them, 
They don't have to think. All they got to do is be able to click a, a key on the computer and print something off that they've Googled. But they don't have to think about what they're doing. And what happens is it really dulls down the learning process. Oh, absolutely. I'll go one further than that, Richard. Uh, the, the Google is something that most people do, but try to figure an, an AutoCAD uh, system. We, like I said, we were an engineering company, so we, we have fully automated AutoCAD drawings. These guys would draw stuff and let the computer figure it out, having no clue what they were doing. Now, it was, they were, they were, the computer would say, well, you do this, you do that, you do this, and then I would ask them about something. They didn't even know what they drew. And, and I would say, how can you design something and you don't even know what you're doing? I'll give you a great example. We built a machine that weighed 60,000 pounds. And we built it in the shop. And, and I told the guys uh, before we built it, I said, after they designed it, and they were so proud of themselves, I said, how are you going to move it? Richard, it looked like I was speaking in a foreign language. They, and I'm talking about three engineers. They looked at me. I said, how are you going to move it? They said, Oh, well, I hadn't thought about that. No, you didn't think about that. How are you going to move 60,000 pounds? We've got a 10-ton crane. And they thought about it, and I said, y'all come back. In three days, they came back. They were going to disassemble it, reassemble it at the customer's place. They were going to build it outside and build a building over the top of it in case it rained. They had about five or six scenarios. And I said, well, why don't we just jack it up, put wheels on it, and roll it outside? Oh, well, we could do that. So they didn't even, it was so, I knew the answer before I asked them the question because I'd built, built these before. Just jack it up, put wheels on it, move it outside. And I said, don't even need wheels, just use pipe. And we'll roll it out. We'll do it like they built the pyramids. <laughs> and it was a simple solution. They couldn't figure it out because they were looking at 60,000 pounds. And, uh, and, and, but it goes back to what you're saying. They're not thinking. They're not thinking. They're not thinking it through. And, and then when they do, they come up with the most complex way to do it, just like the computer. There's ten ways to do everything. There's times I wish that you just had one button, not five ways to do it, because everybody does it a different way. And, uh, and so that's what we're getting. We're getting five ways to do everything, because that's what they were taught. Well, when you and I were uh, in West Palm together recently, I, I asked you, would you be willing to do a show with me? where we took your business expertise, your years in business, and could we talk about some of the most common mistakes as a business owner, a business leader, that, uh, that you made and what you learned from that? And so what I'd like to do uh, in the rest of this segment and our last segment is I'd like to walk through as much as we can of this list that you gave me. And talk about it, because the more I looked at it and the more I got into it, the more I understood the wisdom of what you were talking about. Because I'll be honest with you, when you first handed me this, some of it I didn't understand. But as I got into it and as we talked, I began to see the wisdom in it. And so the first one that uh, you talked to me about and you listed was the concept of loyalty, which I find is an interesting word because... I'm not sure most people today understand what loyalty is all about. So when it comes as a business leader, I mean, we, loyalty is something we want and we want to give, but what's the mistake you made b based on loyalty? Uh, 
I, when I first started the business 30 years ago, uh, I had a couple of people that quit their jobs and came with me. I didn't ask them to. Uh, they worked for me in the other position I was in uh, when I left to start my own business full-time. And, uh, and because they did that and they took a risk on a guy that didn't have anything I was working out of my garage, uh, I felt loyalty to them. I felt like, well, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm going to take care of these guys and I'm going to really work with them. And I think that uh, I didn't get the same loyalty back from them. Uh, oh, they were—they uh, had a lot of admiration. They did a lot of things. But at the, really, when it was all said and done, uh, they looked at the, my loyalty towards them as a weakness. Uh, you say it all the time. You say something about what you don't uh, fix, you validate, or what you uh, whatever. You yeah, what say. you don't confront, you validate. Yeah, and so I was validating their their uh, lack of uh, doing things. So if they wouldn't do something. Because I, I felt loyal to them. I, I wanted to fire these guys from the very beginning, and I didn't. And that was a mistake. Uh, I would have helped them. I would have helped me. It would have been better. I ended up having to fire them anyway. One guy I kept for 18 years, and finally I had to, he was vice president. And he was just a total wipeout from the day he walked in the door. But I felt I owed him because he, he believed in me. And so, uh, but he, he didn't have the same, and then he ended up resenting me, actually. And so it, it, I learned that, you know, you know, loyalty is a good, great thing for your family and your, your friends and stuff. But in business, it's really not the way you need to go. It's either done right or it's not. And the decision needs to be based on whether it's working or not, not whether you're loyal or not, because they view loyalty as weakness. Uh, and so that's what I learned from that. Well, you know, you know my three little words, behavior never lies. So oh, yeah. Yeah. So what what you're talking about here is that uh, because you know we preach we preach so much about loyalty that we want people to be loyal, um, but can loyalty can loyalty um, be misinterpreted as uh, freedom to do what you want to do? Uh, yeah, and they won't they won't be loyal back. See, the problem is for a business owner, he wants to have. Good people, happy people, everybody working in harmony, things working well. Uh, he's loyal to them. He takes care of them, makes sure you know good work conditions, great pay, and the whole bit. And he expects the same from them. And, and the, what I learned is that's okay, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. But you're not going to get the same from them uh, because when 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 the chips are down and when 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 the the, the rain is going sideways because the wind blows so hard, uh, they're they're wiped out. They have no. Uh, no way to support your loyalty. They can't give you the same loyalty back. They won't even give you the same uh, respect back. Uh, what they will do is just create more problems because the, uh, they're they're not loyal because they stay there. They're staying there because you pay them. They're not loyal because they like you. They, 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 no, they, they they like you well enough to work for you, and you're a pretty good guy. You treat them right. Good gosh, you let them get away with murder. Who wouldn't like that? And so, so it it builds a false uh, a false foundation on the work uh, the, that work. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, when working again, it just builds a, a bad foundation because they're they've got one belief system and you've got another, and they're totally different. Well, you know, John, one of the things that I I try to talk to audiences about every day when I'm on stage is the fact that for for there to be harmony inside of every company. And harmony is not always loyalty. Uh, harmony is a, an element of where you share a common purpose, a common agenda, and a common commitment. And when you have those three and you're functioning together, that creates the harmony and the partnership. 
because I find that so many times what happens, you know, we have somebody like the guy you kept for 18 years. You know, we feel guilty because he left his job and he came over here with us. And now all of a sudden he's not living up to it. And I feel guilty to let him go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually, Richard, what you just explained, your way is the right way. The way I chose was not the correct way because uh, it's based on the three things you just said. The guy's got to do the job. He's got to be up for the job. Uh, That's all you expect of him. You know, he doesn't have to salute when you walk in. Uh, By the way, in South Africa, I had people salute me when I walked in. (laughs) It was fun. But uh, they don't have to do that, okay? Uh, And it was a joke, by the way. But but my point is, is, is you don't need all that. All you need is just do your job, come to work, let's live and work in harmony, have a good time when we work, enjoy what we do, be proud of what we make, and, and stand behind what we do when we're working with customers and vendors. Uh, that's all you expect. You, you really don't need them to do anything else. You don't need to go to the ball game with them. You don't need to uh, have them come to your kid's birthday party. It's, it's, it's not, that's not what it is. Well, this, uh, you, this, is one of the thi- this is one of the things that, you know, I have a principle – I don't socialize with my people because I think for in order for there to be leadership, there has to be a mystique. And sometimes owners or leaders think they have to be best friends with their people. And that's a huge mistake because that's where everything gets complicated because then they don't look at you as the leader. They look at you as their friend. Absolutely. Absolutely. One, I agree 100%. That's why in the military, officers don't eat with the enlisted men. I mean, they're totally separate. They have separate rules and separate places they can even go. You can't go into the officer's club. Uh, there's a reason for that, because you have to keep them separate, because uh, friendliness, uh, uh, your decisions are based on friendship. And this, this one guy I told you that 18 years, his entire 18 years of service with this company was based on friendship. So every decision was based on his friend, not an employee, not a manager, not doing his job, a friend. And so uh, we had bad decisions because it wasn't based on anything but friendship. And uh, well, certainly wasn't going to make his friend mad, certainly wasn't going to fire his friend, wasn't going to lay his friend off, uh, wasn't going to reprimand his friend if his friend did something wrong. So you can't run a company like that. Okay. So what we're talking about here is a different type of loyalty. What we're talking about here is an element of partnership where we share that purpose, that agenda, and that commitment. And when you have those three, those three create a environment that's healthy. Now, John, we got to pause here, and we're going to take another break. Um, but we're going to be right back, and we're going to pick back up with these mistakes that John made and what he learned from them. Because I'm going to tell you something, we all make mistakes in business. But if we don't learn from them, that's where we repeat a mistake. Because a mistake you can only make once. And if you keep repeating that, that's your plan. So stay right there. We'll be right back uh, for our third segment. Behavior never lies. Think about it. You can't argue with it, can't dispute it, can't ignore it. You know it's absolute truth, and it applies to every person living on the planet. Behavior Never Lies. Written by the grassroots expert on human behavior himself. His name is Richard Flint. 
In this book, Richard gives you his insight into why this number one Flint philosophy is so important for all of us to understand. It's the book that won't let you off the hook. Because what Richard's saying is that if your words don't match your behavior, sorry, you're out of the game. Behavior never lies. Listen, if you're brave enough, get the book and read it. Go to richardflint.com or we really recommend you give Denise a call at 1-800-368-8255. Oh, and just for your information... If you really don't like to read that much, ask Denise about the audio excerpt version on Flash Drive. Behavior never lies. Isn't it about time you invited Richard Flint into your life? When Richard Flint walks on stage, no one is quite prepared for what's about to happen. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's about getting a little uncomfortable, experiencing emotions you haven't felt in years, even questioning your direction in life. And then, through Richard's how-to instructions delivered in his down-to-earth grassroots style and a wisdom that sounds a lot like common sense, you finally get it. You realize, all is not lost, there's hope for you yet. No one who has ever been in the presence of Richard Flint is left untouched. That's why being in a Richard Flint audience can change your life. And booking Richard is easy. Pick up the phone right now and call Denise at 1-800-368-8255 or visit www.richardflint.com for details. Isn't it about time you invited Richard Flint into your life? Hey, welcome back to our show today. And we're talking with my guest, John Emmett, who to me is one of the the brightest business strategists uh, I've ever known. And like I told you, when I have a challenge in business, John is the one I talk to. And we're talking about the mistakes that he made in business. And, John, I want to go on to another one that you talked to me about. And um, that involved commissioned salespeople. And uh, I think this goes back to what we were talking about before, that sometimes as an, a leader or an owner, we want people to succeed so much that we give them so much they don't have to work. Is that true? Uh, absolutely. One of the biggest mistakes I made was salespeople. And most of my salespeople were commission sales because uh, uh, I just feel that's the way salespeople ought to work. A good salesman wants to be on commission. Uh, but uh, what I really, really learned is that uh, trying to be a proper guy and, and, a, and a good boss and everything, you, you want to help these guys and gals. So you, you give them a company car or a gas allowance, a base salary, travel expenses or whatever, and you, you do this because you feel that would take some pressure off of having to get a sale because, you know, some of the basics are paid for. And, and, uh, and however you work that out, whether it's uh, getting it back in compensation, uh, less their commissions or something, that's all details. But the basic thing is you're trying to help these people. Well, what happens is and these guys are good. Then in their mind, they figure out what that's worth. And let's say that package is worth 25000 a year, for instance, 1000 a month base pay plus a gasoline allowance and um, whatever. Uh, and so they figure that out in their heads, and they say, well, you know, I've got a twenty-four, dollars $25,000 base package. Uh, I only want to make $50,000 a year, and I get a 10% commission, so I just have to sell $250,000 worth of stuff. And now I've got my fifty. Well, you don't find that out until after a while. You're not getting sales, and you go in. And this happened to me twice with two different people. And I went in and said, what's going on here? 
One guy actually told me, oh, I've made all I need to make this year. And it was only like April. I said, excuse me? He said, I've made all I need to make. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, well, I haven't made all you need to make. <laughs> Come on. And I had to fire him. I fired him right there. He said, no, our agreement was that. And I said, it really was. Uh, but the last sentence in the agreement said either party could break the agreement within 30 days written notice. Here is your notice. Uh, and, of course, he got up and left at that moment. And it happened to me a second time. And so I thought, you know, this somebody's doing something wrong, and the only common denominator here is me. So I said, I can't do this. I'm, I'm, I'm treating these guys better than they treat themselves. And uh, so commission guys and gals are the salespeople only want to earn what they need. The really good ones, they ain't going to be working for you anyway because they're going to go on their own. They're going to rep somebody or whatever. Uh, but so, so when a sales guy or gal says, "I need a hundred thousand a year, or fifty thousand, or seventy-five, or two hundred, it doesn't matter what the number is. That's all they're going to do. They're not going to say, "I'm going to make a million dollars." None of them ever said, "I'm going to make a million dollars." I've none of them said, "Well, you mean if I sell a million dollars worth of product, I make a hundred thousand? Not one person's ever said that. They said, "And so, how much is the commission? Okay. And so, how much do I have to sell? Okay." They never said, well, I'm going to sell $2 million and make 200000 They don't reach that far. And so, so I've learned that, you know, just, just say, here's the deal. Here's what it is. Here's your commission. Go get it. And if you don't produce in a, you know, in a certain amount of time, then I'm going to have to let you go. And it's got to be like that because that's the way they think about you. You're, you're putting out some pretty stu- tough statements, Mr. John Emmett. Um, but, you know, I, there's a lot of what you're saying that I totally agree with because what I've found is that, you know, good, a really good salesperson, it seems like today, and I, I'm watching this happen in some companies I'm working with, they walk in and they tell the owner what the owner's going to give them. And because sometimes really quality people are challenging the find, that the owner will give in to the demands of the salesperson. Rather than the salesperson working for the company, the company works for the salesperson. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the two major jobs I had before I went to work for myself, after I'd been with each job, I was with each job 10 years. So for 20 years, I worked for two other people. That's all. I worked myself up to the absolute highest you can go in either one of these companies, small companies, family-owned, private-owned. And towards the end, within five years of the 10-year service in each company, I went to the owner of the company and said, put me on straight commission. Nothing, straight commission. And neither one of them would do it. And the reason was they said, you would make more money than I make. And I said, and what's your point? What's your point? Then you would make more money. No, they didn't want to make more money. They just didn't want me to make more money. And so I left both companies, not for that reason, but but I've always wanted to be on straight commission because I knew what I could do and what I could produce. So I guess in a way I was doing what you just said. Uh, they both turned me down because they said they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. You're writing $4 million worth of business. And at the end I was writing $10 million worth of business. And so they're not going to give me a million dollars. So you're right. You're absolutely right, Richard. The good guys and, and good gals know what they're doing. I'm not saying they run the company, and I didn't run the companies, but I was saying that I can make more money if I was on commission, and yet they don't have to give me a business. I was a vice president of these companies, and I was way up there, uh, and, uh, but I was always in engineered sales, and, uh, and so uh, I knew what I could do, and I knew how much business I could write. 
in business that they couldn't write. And by the way, neither one of those companies ever wrote that much business again when I left. Uh, and I'm not saying anything about me. I'm just saying that uh, had they been a little bit different and even negotiated with me, I'd probably still be working for them. Uh, but that didn't happen. So uh, I guess what you say is uh, applies to me as well. There's another thing that you talked about here is a mistake, and uh, I hear this a lot. Uh, you probably, you as listeners, you never know how many people come to me and want me to be a partner in an idea that they have. And when they come to me and they want me to be a partner, what they're not asking me to be is a partner. They're asking me to be the bank. And... You know, my contention has always been for years, if I had a partnership with somebody, uh, we would both have to contribute mentally, uh, emotionally, and financially. But there's so many times whenever people come in a company and they want to be a partner in the company, but they have no investment in that. Oh, absolutely. I run into that with every guy that has been elevated up to vice president. Uh, except the last guy who worked the best and did the greatest. But everybody else wanted to own a piece of the company, but they weren't contributing enough. They didn't have any money, in it, any stake in it. And uh, their uh, their thought of uh, uh, ownership was, I'm working hard, and I show up every day, and, uh, you know, and I do this and I do that. But if they don't have any money, anybody that doesn't have any money in a venture – doesn't have the same view of success in that venture as the guy that has the money in it. Because the guy that has the money in it has to do two things. Before anything's done, he's got to get his money back, or he's got to get a return on that investment, or else it's not worth doing, unless you just want to give somebody money. The other guy don't have to do any of that. He don't have to do any of that. And if he's sick, he's got the flu, or he's in the hospital, God forbid, for something, then that's where he is. If you're there, then your investment's not being protected because you can't protect it. You're out of pocket. And so, so, so it's looked at differently. And this is why these venture capitalists and these big companies are so ruthless because they're only looking at that side of it. I've got X millions in this, and I need my money back, and a 30 or 40% return. And they don't look at anything else. And that's what's wrong with that side of the business. Uh, when these companies buy these other companies, because then they're saying, we got the money in it, and we're the ones that make the rules. And nobody else gets to say anything because you ain't got no money in it. And that's how they think, and that's how it's motivated, because they know that, no, you're not going to make decisions on my money, because i got to get my money out. And after I get my money out, we might talk about some stuff, but not until then. And that's why uh, that that type of business, when venture capitalists or large companies buy up other companies, and that's a whole other subject for a whole other day. But that's why that thing doesn't work well, because it's, it's, you're looking at the business in a different light. You're looking at it strictly for money. Anybody that goes in business to make money and get rich don't need to be going in business. It won't happen, because that's not what success is. Success and making money is a, making money is a byproduct of success. If you're successful at what you do, I don't care if you're selling marbles. If you're good at it and you're better than anybody else, the money will come automatically. And if you go in and say, I can sell marbles and make a lot of money, you probably won't do it because you're concentrating on making money and not selling marbles. And so that's how you got to look at it. And I've looked at that all my life. And I'm telling you, if I put up $10, you're going to put up $10. Or you angle me in this group. 
and, and most people walk out. They say, well, I don't have the money, and I can't do it. And guess what? You're going to lose my expertise, and you're going to lose everything I could bring to the table. See, okay? that's, that's what I had presented to me the other day. I had a guy email wanting to know if I would be willing to invest in his idea. And so I emailed him back and said, well, let's say that I was interested in this. What are you going to invest in it? He says, well, I have the knowledge. And I said, but what are you going to invest other than the knowledge? Because I can bring knowledge too. He said, well, I'm looking for someone who will fund my business. And right there, that was a flag to me. And I told him, you know what? I'm not interested because, you know, it, it's just like if, uh, if a child comes to you and wants to borrow money. Uh, kids never borrow money. I mean, they, they take the money. Mm-hmm. And uh, so no one is going to bring that back to you and the return on your investment coming back to you. Okay, no, we, no. We, we got about five minutes left, John, and I, I want to cover a couple of these because I see them so big. Uh, employees and managers that are argumentative personalities. Uh, you've had these? I have, and, 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 and what we've had, and we've had them all through the company forever since the day it started. The very first guy that came with me that I was loyal to was an argumentative guy. And what it really is is uh, they're, they're trying to uh, – uh, they're arguing because they're afraid. And they're arguing because in order to do what you ask them to do, they've got to get out of their comfort zone because it's not something they would normally do. So if you say, go call on that customer, and you tell him he owes us X dollars, and, and you know we need to get paid, and you're going to be there anyway making a sales call, so go see the purchasing guy and make sure we got our money. Well, they don't want to do that. So they tell you 20 ways why you couldn't do that and why you're wrong for even requesting that, not of them but of the customer. You know, how, you're going to ask him to pay you? Come on. You know, he'll pay you in good time. He's a good guy. And if I ever hear the word again, I'll cry. Uh, they're good for it. Who's good for it? And who are they? They're yeah. good for it. Well, yeah, they're good for it because it's not your money. And yeah. so, so they, but they argue. And we had guys out in the shop. You put out an engineered product, they, they re-engineer it on the floor and argue with you. Because to do what you ask them to do is out of their comfort zone. They're going to have to work. Yeah, and it also, have to do it also exposes what they don't know. Uh, which is a challenge. We've got time for one more, John, and this is a big one to me. Uh, firing people, when you let someone go. When you let someone go, and I learned this the hard way several times. I'm hard. It takes me a while to pick up on things, but when I do, it's like a turtle. Uh, when you let go of an employee, let go immediately and finally. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. It's overdone. And uh, escort them off the campus, and it's over. And uh, uh, you'll send them them things. Uh, you'll clean out their desk uh, and put it in a box, and they can pick it up in the in the entryway uh, the, the next day or something. And that even means if you have to bring in the sheriff or somebody to escort them off the premises. Because what I have learned, Richard, is uh, people get angry, and they they don't want to hurt you, uh, but they feel that anything they may have done that produced a profit for you or helped you with the business belongs to them. So they're either going to take it or destroy it. And I've had people try to wipe out our, our, our hard drives. We back everything up at 4 o'clock every morning, so, you know, we don't worry about that. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and they feel that uh, uh, they deserve something because they worked for you. Never mind they got paid, and they got a paycheck every time and never, never missed a paycheck. They forget about that. So 
Uh, I've learned it the hard way. I've had people. I had a guy take a set of golf clubs out of my out of my office. <laughs> I've had guys wipe out the, the their, their hard drive. I had guys take drawings. They felt they belonged to them because they they drew it. Well, what like, you, I paid you to do that. Yeah, what you're talking about then? If someone gives you a two week notice, accept the two week notice, but they're gone, physically gone, as of the moment they give you a two week notice. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, there could be exceptions on a great person and a great relationship uh, where someone, you know, you really know them and trust them, and they, they say, look, I've got another job, and I'll give you two weeks. To, you know, and you'll know. You know the guys and the gals you can trust. So, so there may be a, a point where, uh, you know, that happens. But if it's where you're asking the person to go or by mutual agreement he agrees to leave, then you terminate that. Uh, but there have been cases, and I've given two-week notices to people, uh, and, and they've accepted it, but, but, you know, I was a proper guy. I wasn't going to do anything. I just said, you know, uh, I'll get you to the end here, and then when this happens and that's finished, then I'm going to leave. And, and so that's, that's how you do it. So I think you, you, I wouldn't paint that with a broad brush. I would say if it's something that a family member, for instance, my sons have quit. And I said, okay, son, just go ahead, and then they'll be fine. You know, so, uh, uh, but, uh, but generally, if there's a confrontational type of a, of a deal where, uh, like I said, uh, you either let someone go or they decide to quit by mutual agreement or whatever, that's, that's adversarial. And that's, that's not going to be any good for anybody. So just terminate it and walk off. And, and guess what I've learned, Richard? Now, anybody I've ever let go, I've never needed anything they had. I've yeah. never called one person back. I've never asked them, where did you put this? It was like taking your finger out of a bucket of water. Yeah. Well, listen, John, I, I really appreciate your insights. Uh, and I know there are going to be people that don't agree with you, but that's okay. Uh, because I think many people don't know how to run a business. Folks, I appreciate your time with us today. And next Thursday, we're going to talk about the seven foundational principles that truly successful people live by. Now, take my word truly. Seven foundational pr- principles, not just successful people, but truly successful people live by. So I hope you'll join us next Thursday, same time, same place. And again, I'd like to thank our guest, John Emmett, for his time with us today. Remember, you have the power to be what life is there for you to be if you're willing to unleash it. See you next Thursday. Any questions? Call our people at Richard Flint Productions, 1-800-368-8255, 1-800-368-8255, or visit us at www.richardflint.com. And thanks for listening. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.